Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Sometimes you need to leave the voices of the crowds and head into a wilderness to listen to the voice that matters most. And in our Bibles, between Malachi and Matthew, or between Nehemiah, which is the last Old Testament book, really, as far as the story goes, and the Nativity, there is a 400-year gap uh, between, let's just say, Old and New Testaments. And often, people, theologians, refer to that as the 400 years of silence. But it was not a quiet time. A whole bunch of stuff happened. A whole bunch of voices were talking. A whole bunch of turmoil in society, both culturally, politically, spiritually, in that part of the world, the Bible part of the world, okay, took place. It was not a quiet 400 years. And God was still speaking, even though scripture wasn't written. But out of nowhere, there came a hero. And the only place you could hear that voice, a break, as it were, after 400 years of not having a prophet, God began to speak through the prophets again. But to hear that voice, you had to go out of the city to the wilderness place. There are many heroes in the Bible, and we're doing a series at the moment on biblical heroes. Today, I want you to put your most enthusiastic hand together and welcome for the first time Jonathan Ogilvie as he shares with us today. Jono is one of the heroes of our church and certainly, certainly in the last 18 months has been a hero in our church. The reason you are watching at home today uh, for our live streamers is because of Jono's service and we're really grateful, mate, and we're really excited to hear from you today. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. As Chad just introduced, my name is Jonathan, and I have the privilege of being part of the production team here at Bayside. For the last seven or eight years, uh, I've sat in the back corner running the graphic screen that happens behind us. That's part of my role within a much larger team that makes Sunday services run smoothly. Last year, my role expanded, uh, and I got a new set of responsibilities as we took church online. Um, but today I'm sharing with you one of my heroes from the Bible. They're a hero who is often overlooked, uh, even though they are what I consider to be one of the greatest Old, character test Old Testament characters. And the first thing that you need to know about this character is that they hold a very unique role in the narrative of the Bible. See, here's the story so far. We open in the beginning with the story of creation in Genesis. And the story of creation has been discussed by theologians for centuries, and they've generated a wide array of interpretations. Some interpret it literally, some interpret it allegorically. But either way, it's referenced and shadowed throughout the rest of the Bible. And then we meet a guy called Abraham. And through Abraham, God selects his chosen people and gives them their promised land. And 
due to a famine, the promised people, the chosen people, have to leave their promised land, and they need a deliverer to bring them back. So God sends along Moses. And it's under Moses' leadership that the priestly order is established, set up to intercede for the people before God. And then, after Moses died, the people still needed leadership. So God started sending along these interim warrior judges who would not only adjudicate for the people, but also led them in battle. But that wasn't enough. The people needed more. The kingdom demanded a king, and the kings were flawed. <laughs> they were pretty hit or miss. So it's during the reign of the kings that God starts sending along prophets, messengers whose role, whose role it was to deliver the word of God. And then we have silence. And then out of the silence comes a word. The word of God delivered in human form. And we spend the rest of the New Testament learning about him. He came not as a flawed earthly king, but as an eternal conquering judge who himself interceded for the people, ending the need for the priestly order. He came as a deliverer and will one day lead his chosen people into the promised kingdom. And then at the end of the book, we have John's revelation. And theologians have discussed the book of Revelation for centuries and generated a wide array of interpretations. Some interpret it literally, some interpret it allegorically. But either way, it's referenced and foreshadowed throughout the rest of the book. But there's one bit that I left out. Have any of you ever been to the theatre? Probably not much so in recent times, but if you've ever seen a play or a ballet or an opera, you might have some idea of what I'm talking about. See, about halfway through most shows, there's an intermission, a break, a pause. And then, before the show begins again, there's a specific piece of music that they play. It's called the entract from the French, meaning between acts. And it acts as a refresher. It uses some of the musical themes from the beginning half and hints at some of the musical themes that are coming in the second half. It's a reminder of what happened in Act 1 and a foreshadowing of what's coming in Act 2. Wow. Today's hero is the entract of the Bible, John the Baptizer, who did far more than baptize. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up to John 1. That is John the disciple, not John the baptizer. It was a popular name back then. If you don't have your Bible, um, hopefully the scriptures will be on the screen. No pressure, Jesse. Hey. <laughs> All right, John 1, and we are picking up at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Jumping down to verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. 
They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who send us. What do you say about yourself? John replied with the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent to question him, questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to tie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So the very first thing that we have to read about John is that he was sent from God and he was sent to testify concerning the light that was about to break forth. In the grand narrative, John held a very distinct role. John knew his role and when questioned by the Pharisees, he could say exactly who he was and who he was not. The priests and Pharisees who questioned him didn't understand the nature of his ministry. They ask him if he's an Old Testament prophet, and John states that he's not. See, John's role was that of a prophet, but not how they imagined it. Like the other prophets under the Old Covenant, he came to deliver the word of God. He came to testify concerning the light, but John did more. John tells the Pharisees that he's not the prophet, nor Elijah, nor any other prophet who might have risen from the dead, because he doesn't fulfill the Pharisees' concept of a prophet. Like some prophets, he did live as a bit of a recluse. Like some prophets, he did stir the Israelites to righteousness. But unlike any other prophet, he did not testify over Christ that was yet to come. When asked about John, Jesus calls him much more than a prophet because John showed them a Christ that was already come. The law and prophets prophesied up until John. The law foreshowed in its customs and the prophets foretold in their sermons a Christ that was yet to come. But John did more. He identified a Messiah that was already among them. Moses, Isaiah and the rest of the prophets had pointed to a far distant personage they could only see faintly. But John pointed at an actual human being who stood directly in front of him. John held possibly the most unique position in the Bible, the hinge that joins the Old Testament with the New. His message and ministry marked the culmination of the prophets and heralded the inbreaking of the promised kingdom of God. He lived with one foot in the Old Testament and one in the New. Just like John, we have a unique position in history. Each of us sits in a very unique spot. We have a calling on our lives and God has positioned us perfectly to carry it out. But some of us lack the confidence to achieve that calling. See, we know that John had confidence in his calling. He was approached and challenged by the religious leaders. They were figures in authority, but John wasn't intimidated by them. They asked him who he was, 
and why he was doing what he was doing. But John knew his role, and he knew that the role came with responsibility. These responsibilities were prophesied by Isaiah, Malachi, Gabriel, and his father. We can read his father's prophecy over him as a child in the Gospel of Luke. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. John came into the world with great things expected of him. Because of his distinct role, he had defined responsibilities. Part of his responsibility was similar to that of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, Joel, and a whole load of the other prophets. The people's hearts and minds had drifted, and they'd adopted a very ritualistic approach to relationship with God. John appealed to the people's historic moral convictions. He encouraged the people to repent and turn back to righteousness, just like many of the other prophets who came before him did. But on top of that already challenging responsibility, John had more. He was the forerunner sent to go before the Lord and prepare the way. John was sent at this specific time to prepare hearts for the coming Messiah. Because John knew his distinct role and the defined responsibilities that came with that role, he had confidence. When the religious leaders asked him who he was, he could answer plainly and boldly. But with that boldness came a sense of humility. He knew who was coming. And he knew that the one who was coming, the straps of whose sandals, he was not worthy to untie. He knew that he was only the warm-up act for someone far greater. He carried out his responsibilities knowing that he was setting up for someone who would change the course of history. This series is about heroes. And when I was a geeky middle schooler, if you can believe that, <laughs> I was really into space, into planets and space travel and the stars and asteroids. And so two of my heroes uh, when I was a teenager were Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. But when the two of them became the first human beings to step foot on the moon, they left someone behind orbiting the moon. Does anyone know his name? Well done. Michael Collins. He was the third astronaut on Apollo 11. On the 16th of July, 1969, the three of them were launched from Cape Canaveral and exited the Earth's atmosphere. Then Collins was the one who had to perform a very delicate space maneuver called transpositioning, docking, and extraction. It sounds fancier than it is. <laughs> See, when the rocket took off from Earth, there were several components that had been arranged in a certain way so that they could all exit the atmosphere safely. It had to be very aerodynamic. And then when they got out into the vacuum of space, they had to be rearranged so that it then made it smoother to get them to the moon and so that then part of it could then go to the surface of the moon. And this was Michael Collins' responsibility, sort of to rearrange the Lego pieces so that they could complete their journey. 
Unlike Lego, it was a very delicate maneuver with multi-million dollar pieces of equipment. But the concept's there. Yeah. But you see, Michael Collins had been specifically trained in this. He was part of the mission control team that had talked astronauts through this maneuver on earlier Apollo missions. It was one of his responsibilities during Apollo 11. And then they flew for 76 hours until they reached the moon's orbit. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin boarded the lunar module and it was detached from the main command module. Then, as the lunar module rotated in space, Collins had to do a visual inspection of it to make sure that there was no damage and that the landing gear had deployed correctly. He gave the all clear for them to begin their descent to the surface. And then he was alone, orbiting the moon, while 600 million people watched his colleagues make history. But Collins had been assigned that role. And that role came with responsibilities. And those responsibilities continued while he waited for his colleagues to return. He had a long list of maintenance tasks that he had to carry out, checks that he had to run around the craft to make sure that it was all good for their return journey. On his third orbit of the moon, um, he got a message from Mission Control to say that there was a problem with the temperature of the coolant, and when he lapped on the, on the far side of the moon, it might freeze. And if that happened, none of them would be getting it back to Earth. So Collins did what any well-trained, experienced engineer or technician did. He tried turning it off and on again. <laughs> it worked. Just over a day after they had left, Armstrong and Aldrin reunited on the command module with Collins and they began their journey home. Michael Collins never walked on the moon, but he prepared the way for those who did. He says in his autobiography, this venture had been structured for three men and I consider my third to be just as necessary as either of the other two. Even though he's not remembered as much as those he prepared the way for, he was necessary for the mission to succeed. He was a hero. He flew so the other two could walk. Richard Nixon, the president who sent them to the moon, wrote in a speech, in ancient days, men looked at stars and saw their heroes in the constellations. In modern times, we do much the same, but our heroes are epic men of flesh and blood. You are called to be a hero, an epic man or woman of flesh and blood. Your hero's calling is waiting for you. Just like Michael Collins, you've been assigned a role. Your role may not impact history, but it could impact someone else's eternity you have responsibilities that you have to carry out. Like John the baptizer, your role was determined before you were born. Ephesians 1 tells us that before we were even born, he gave us our destiny, that we would fulfill the plan of God, who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. God has a plan that he wants you to be a part of. Just like John, you have been perfectly positioned in the grand narrative to carry out your God assignment. All God is waiting for is for you to say yes. This book is filled with people 
who said yes to the role that God called them to. Abraham, Moses, David, Deborah, Esther, Mary, John the Baptizer. Without God's calling on their lives, they were just ordinary people, shepherds, fishermen, fugitives. Michael Collins was just a pilot. John the Baptizer was just a locust-eating drifter. I'm just a software engineer. But when we accept God's call and God's role for us, we contribute to God's grand narrative. With our role comes responsibilities. And those responsibilities are not always easy. John defied the cultural norm. He challenged the religious leaders and he went on to face the king. Moses faced Pharaoh. David faced a giant. But with God's help, they all fought those challenges. They all achieved those responsibilities and they all reached their God-given destiny. Some of you here today know the role that he has called you to and you're living it out. And if that's you this morning, good for you. You can be confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. But there are some of us who are still waiting for God to show you his plan for your life. And this morning, we're going to pray that God will make his role known to you. And there may be a few of us today, you know what God has called you to, but you're not yet ready to step into it. You haven't yet begun carrying out the responsibilities that go with that role because it's too hard or you don't think you have the equipment. But we're going to pray this morning that you step into all that God has called you to. And we're going to pause right now and do that. So if you'd like to stand, we will pray. Thank you, Father God, that you are the one who brought us to where we are today. You have seen us through to this moment. We know that the unique role that you have for each of us is far greater than anything we could hope or imagine, far greater than what we can achieve by ourselves. Holy Spirit, just come this morning and reveal your plan to each of us. Show us the responsibilities that we have to carry out. This morning, we choose to say yes to what you have for us. For anyone here who might be hesitating, who know what you've called them to, but the responsibility seems like too much, please show us, please help us overcome our human fear. Show us that just like John, you are already there standing amongst us, standing alongside us, ready to take over just as soon as we have prepared the way. Thank you, Father God, that you will reveal your calling for our lives this morning. And if you agree with that, say amen. You can take your seats. I'm not quite done. <laughs> so John knew his calling. And in that calling, his greatest responsibility was to identify Jesus. 
Let's keep reading from John 1. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. John had a distinct role in the grand story. John had a defined responsibility to prepare the way for the Lord. And this led him to receive a divine revelation about the Messiah. If the worship team would like to make their way up. John is the first person to recognize Jesus as an adult for who he was. John announces Jesus' distinct role as God's chosen one. For thousands of years, prophets spoke of God's chosen one, that he would be a descendant of Eve, he would be human. He would be a descendant of Abraham, he'd be an Israelite. He would come from the tribe of Judah. He would come from the line of David. And yes, a handful of shepherds and wise men knew about him at his birth. But now, John reveals, here, in front of a crowd, in front of Pharisees, in front of priests, in front of Jews, in front of Gentiles, that this man is God's chosen one. John declares it publicly and plainly. The man who came after John, but existed before John, is now revealed to Israel, the one who was and who is and who is to come the Messiah. And John has this divine revelation. John receives and declares one final prophecy, the last prophecy under the old covenant. John gives Jesus the title, the Lamb of God, a title which has been diluted by the church for 2,000 years. The Lamb of God, or Agnes Dea, is an important part of Catholic and Anglican liturgy. And I think we've lost the impact that the title would have had for John the Baptist and the people that he was speaking to. See, we always picture a lamb as a picture of purity, spotlessness, perfection, which it is. But in Old Testament Israel, lambs meant one thing, sacrifice. Looking through the laws of sacrifice laid out in the Old Testament, there were over 1,700 lambs sacrificed annually. That was only the regularly scheduled sacrifices that happened every day or every Sabbath. That doesn't include personal sin offerings. And that doesn't include the Passover lamb, which was one lamb per household per year. Josephus, the historian, records that during the reign of Emperor Nero, just a couple of years after John and Jesus' earthly ministries, the number of lambs sacrificed just in Jerusalem for one Passover 
was 256,000 lambs. Lambs were not just cute and fluffy. They were innocents destined for death to bring about salvation. John was the final Old Testament prophet and his final prophecy declared Jesus as the Lamb of God. John's final prophecy defined Jesus' responsibility, innocence, destined for death to bring salvation. Jesus fulfilled his calling. The Lamb was sacrificed to ransom the slave. And now, he has a calling for you. The role that he has called you to may not be as pivotal as John's, but in his eyes, it is just as important. All he's waiting for is for you to say yes to his calling. With that role, with your role, comes responsibilities. Those responsibilities are not easy. Sometimes they are hard. Sometimes there are giants that you have to fight. But you are not alone. See, after Jesus fulfilled his responsibility, he sent Holy Spirit to help you, to guide you. And when you fulfilled your part, just like John did, you get to step back and let Jesus take over. We're going to continue in worship. And as we do, reflect on what, if anything, is stopping you from fulfilling the calling that God has for you. If God has brought you this far, he will be faithful to see you all the way through. Thanks, Matt. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.